Hi, my name is Gary Weber, and I'm the pastor at Southside Baptist Church, and I want to thank you for listening to today's podcast. I know many of you listen on a regular basis, or maybe some of you are just joining us for the first time as churches move to online, but we want to give all of you an opportunity to support the ministry here at Southside Baptist Church, whether that's in our physical campus or right here through the virtual campus in the ministry of the podcast and the online services. You can contribute by going to ssbc.org and clicking the Give tab. There you can make a one-time gift or a recurring gift, and anything you can do would be greatly appreciated. Hey, we hope you're doing well. We'd love to hear from you. Enjoy today's message. Good morning. My name is Gary Weber. I'm the pastor here at Aspire Church San Marco, and we are so happy to have you with us, whether you're joining us in person or online. Uh, I want to just give you a little update. So every year at this time, we do what we call the Advent Conspiracy. We try to turn Christmas upside down uh, as a way of just demonstrating our commitment to Jesus by worshiping him fully, spending less, giving more so that we can love all. So our goal this year for our Advent trees has been $55,000. And all of that money goes to help plant churches, uh, disaster relief, uh, the children's home, local children's home here in town, uh, international missions, and so far through your generosity, we have already given uh, over $20,000. So we're not quite to our goal yet, but if you would like to participate in the Advent Conspiracy, stop by the trees on your way out, or you can, again, text that same number, 904-441-8650, and if you click the Give tab, uh, or you type, you send text Give in, you can get a form back and you can text Uh, you can give money that way as well. Anything you can do will be appreciated as we just seek to share the love of the gospel around the world this Christmas time especially. We're in a series that we're calling Christmas in Exile. And we started out by saying how throughout the Old Testament, God seemed to specialize in using people who suffered exile and uh, people who were refugees, people who were displaced to carry his message of hope to the world. And it seemed like unlikely people to be used, and yet that's what God did throughout the Bible. Abraham and Noah and Daniel and so many people in the Old Testament who were outside of their homeland, and yet God had them exactly where he wanted them. And that points us really to the story of Christmas. That, that, that Jesus stepped into the world as one who had left his home in heaven, abandoned all his wealth, and Jesus came to meet us. He lived as an exile so that we wouldn't have to. And, and what we see in this tension of, of God stepping into exile in our world is we see this tension between the kingdoms of our Lord and the empire of this world. You feel that tension all the time when you watch the news, when you hear evil things happening, when you hear about sickness and death. You feel the tension between the kingdom and the empire. And Jesus stepped into that. It's this universal battle that's been going on really since the fall back in Genesis chapter 3 and continues today. So I want to look specifically today at this story from Matthew 2. It's another familiar story. And as I said last week, sometimes the familiarity of our Christmas stories actually not us from hearing the powerful truth behind them. So I want to invite you again this week to pretend like you don't know this story and to hear it from the perspective of the alien, the stranger, the sojourner, the exile among us, and how Jesus takes on that role in the world. Let, look with me at Matthew chapter 2. We'll put it on the screen as well. Matthew chapter 2, I'll begin in verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, 
wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going to the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warmed in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, when they had heard, when they, now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentations, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they were no more. But when Herod died, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken of by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Now, this passage of Scripture is obviously one that we hear a lot at Christmas time. Now, we don't read all the way through it. We're going to talk about why I think we often skip the end of that story and yet why it's so important. But what you see in this passage, just like we saw in Luke chapter 2 last week, is the truth of the reality that Jesus came to us as somebody who was exiled, somebody who was a refugee, somebody who was on the outside you see it even as he is suffering under the hand of Herod and his family is forced to flee to a foreign country and live there for a period of time. Now I want to look at this and a few things I want us to see in this passage are in this battle between the kingdoms of our Lord and the empire of this world is we see an example of power, we see an example of resistance, we see suffering, and we see deliverance. And that is the story of the gospel. 
power, resistance, suffering, and finally deliverance. Let's look at each of these. First, let's look at power. And, and we see this exemplified through Herod the Great. Now, Herod called himself the king of the Jews, the king of Israel, but he was, in fact, no king. In fact, he wasn't even really Jewish. He hadn't been a practicing Jew. He was not born of the kingly line. He just sort of took that title upon himself and was recognized by Rome as the regional king. And so he was upheld in that role by the empire of Rome, but it was not one that the Jews recognized. He took on major building projects and created a really strong economy in Palestine. So you had this situation where you had a strong economy which kept the people peaceful, but at the same time you had an immoral leader that the people did not, uh, did not recognize as somebody who was in position because God had placed him there. He built the temple. One example of this was a major building project was he rebuilt the temple. And in order to placate the Jews, he built the temple bigger than it had ever been before, more elaborate, more spectacular than it was before. And to placate the Romans, he put the Roman eagle right over the entrance to the temple. So he was trying to please everybody. And in fact, what he was doing was he was trying to, uh, he was trying to gain for himself power and influence with both the Roman world and with God's people. Now, this was the second political power actually mentioned in the Christmas story. If you remember in Luke chapter 2, uh, we were introduced to Caesar Augustus, who implemented a tax that all the, all the Roman world should be taxed, which forced Mary and Joseph to leave their home in Nazareth and to go to Bethlehem in order to be counted for this tax where, in fact, Jesus was born. So already we've been introduced to these two political powers in the Christmas story, Caesar and Herod, and you see in them the forces of the empire. Uh, they're not motivated and directed by God. They're just part of the system of this world. And they're not going to be the last. There are going to be others throughout the story of Jesus. You're going to read about Herod Antipas, who was uh, the ruler at the time when Jesus was growing up. He had Jesus' first cousin beheaded. He would ultimately be one of the people standing in judgment over Jesus. You have Pilate, who was the Roman governor put in place by Rome. You have Roman, other Roman emperors. And you see this pattern, this tension that constantly exists throughout the entire Bible, but you see it especially in the ministry and the life of Jesus. You have the kingdoms of our Lord, you have the kingdoms and the values of heaven, and you have the empire of the earth and the clash that exists, and Jesus is caught right in the middle. And here's what you see exemplified through Jesus and should be exemplified through his church, that the power of the empire is overcome by the humility of the kingdom. The power of the empire is overcome by the humility of the kingdom. You see it in Jesus' life in particular, that, that Jesus, uh, even though he was God, did not consider himself equal to God when he came to earth. He didn't come as an emperor or a political ruler. He did not seek political influence or power. Instead, he came as a servant to the least of these, that he would wash the disciples' feet, that he would give his life up on the cross as the ultimate example of his being a servant to all. That the power of the kingdom, the power of the empire is overcome by the humility of the kingdom. Listen to what it says in Matthew chapter 20, verse 25 and following. You know, this is Jesus talking to his disciples. So Jesus is talking to those who are going to follow him, who are going to carry the mantle of the kingdom of heaven into the world who, and down to us today as the church. Listen to what he said. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. 
It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be greatest among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for, and for many. See, the rules of engagement are different for people of the kingdom. The rules for the empire are power, influence, authority, wealth, but the, the rules of engagement for people of the kingdom is humility, to be Christ-like. And so what does this exalt? This, this results in the only, the only influence, the only ability that we have is to resist the forces of the evil empires of this world. Resist the forces. And this is what you see in two characters in this passage, or multiple characters, actually. You see it in the wise men, those magi from the east, but you also see it in Joseph. You see it in the wise men as they come seeking Jesus, and when they meet Herod, they immediately see through his lies. They see through his deceit. They know he is not wanting to come and worship the newborn king. They sense that. In fact, God tells them through an angel, hey, don't go back. Don't go back to Herod. So what do they do? They resist. They, they actually are disobedient to Herod. They go back another way. But you see it in Joseph as well. That, that Joseph hears from God through the angel and he flees Bethlehem. He flees Jerusalem in order to escape Herod. And he stays in Egypt until he hears that Herod is dead. See, kingdom advancement requires peaceful resistance to the empire schemes. Kingdom advancement requires peaceful resistance to the empire schemes. It is through the power and the influence of kingdom people that things have been changed throughout history of the world. There's a reason that slavery came to an end when it did. And it was not because the political forces made it so. It was because there were people who with kingdom values who resisted the systems and the broken, uh, the broken empire of this world. There were people who stood up against it. This is the idea that we see when you look throughout church history and you see different people standing up for those who are, who are considered the least of these. You see it, in fact, in Jesus himself, that his peaceful resistance, both to the religious powers of his day and to the political powers of his day, resulted in his persecution and ultimately his, his execution. Now, in order for this to be truly kingdom, it has to be directed by God. And both the wise man and Joseph received direct orders from God about how they should resist the schemes of Herod. Those orders required them to know that it was God's voice speaking. It required them to know what God was saying to them. And it required them to have the courage to obey. Now, I don't know how God speaks to you, but he's never come to me and spoken to me through an angel. And in fact, the word angel in the Bible is sometimes a little misleading, especially at Christmas time when we see all these, you know, beautiful angels. The biblical description of angel is anything but beautiful. They're terrifying. Uh, and they do that to get your attention. And I think these messengers from God, we often think, well, if, if, if a messenger from God would appear to me, I would also know that it was God. I, I would also know what God wanted me to do, and I would also have the courage to do it. But here's the truth. God still speaks to us today as clearly as he did to the wise men and as clearly as he did to Joseph. He does it through his Holy Spirit, through his word, through prayer, and through his church. He speaks. The question is, are we willing to listen like the wise men and Joseph were willing to listen? Are we willing to spend enough time with God that we recognize his voice and we know what he's saying to us? We know what he's directing us to do. 
and, and that we take courage and comfort in God's plan, knowing that even if it results in some hardship, that ultimately God's plan, God's will is always best for our lives. In order for us to resist the kingdom, the empire schemes, we have to practice peaceful resistance, but we can only practice that kind of resistance when God has given us directions and we have to know that it's God, we have to know what he's saying, and we have to have the courage to obey him. This is exactly what Jesus did when he was standing before Pilate on trial, when he was standing before Herod on trial, you see it, that he refused to answer their questions. He refused to participate in this trial because it was unfair. And you see it exemplified through his disciples. Almost all of his disciples would be executed for their faith in Jesus. They did not resist with violence. They resisted peacefully. But they did resist. And ultimately they gave their lives. You see it in the Apostle Paul. And you even see it in modern examples down throughout church history. People willing to sacrifice their lives in order to exercise peaceful resistance against an evil empire schemes. I just wonder how much we as Christians today are willing to stand up against the norms of our society today when we know that they do not align with the kingdom of God. One of the reasons why we've done the Advent Conspiracy every year and why I feel so strongly about it is because it is a form of peaceful resistance against the culture that has overtaken the celebration of Jesus' birth. It is a way for us to say we are different. We operate differently. We value things differently. It, 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 is, it is something that we have to recognize God has called us to be a part of his kingdom, which means there are going to be times when the kingdom values and the values of this earth find themselves in opposition. It's going to happen in your workplace. It's going to happen as you raise your children, your grandchildren. It's going to happen through media. It's going to happen in every aspect of our world. And you see it. You see it in the story of Dimitri and Shanique Fisher. They, I, can't put a, 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 the, I can't put the title bad guy on anybody except that you see and recognize the broken systems of this world in which we live. And as God's people, we have to be willing to follow God's direction, even if that means we have to resist the empire schemes. And that will result in suffering, which you also see in this passage. And the suffering wasn't who you would expect. It was the innocent bystanders in Bethlehem. The women who would weep over their lost children. Now, just a side note, some have questioned whether this story is historically accurate. They argue that there's no extra biblical evidence for the story taking place. But I would say that extra biblical evidence is, uh, the requirement to have extra biblical evidence is not necessary for a story to be historical. In fact, what you find is there are so many times where the Bible tells a story and it may be the only his piece of historic evidence that we have, but it's the same thing in other documents. If you read history at all, you know that sometimes there's only one source for a story about George Washington or one source for a story about King George. And yet the world recognizes one source is okay in those cases, but oftentimes when it comes to the Bible, it requires extra historical sources. So I reject that idea because I don't think it needs extra biblical evidence, but I would say this. That everything that happened in Matthew chapter 2 is consistent with everything we know to be true about Herod the Great. Herod the Great murdered three of his sons. He oversaw the ex execution of his mother-in-law and his favorite wife. He had ten, by the way. When he learned he was dying, listen to this. When Herod learned that he was dying, he arranged for the mass arrest and execution of dozens of respected Jewish leaders 
on the day that he died, that was his order, in order that he would be sure there was sufficient weeping in the streets upon his death. So what we see in Herod, this story about him having all the babies, under, under the, all the male children under the age two executed, is consistent with everything we know from extra-biblical sources about Herod. So I absolutely believe it's true. And, and this is perhaps the most overlooked aspect of the Christmas story. This suffering that takes place, this, this, uh, this genocide that happens. Overlooked because of how offensive it seems to mingle the images of a brutal massacre of innocent babies with the celebration of our Savior's birth. We scrub the nativity clean in order to require less talk about refugees, political oppression, teenage pregnancies, and infanticide. But these are as much a part of the Christmas story and as much a part of the narrative of Christmas as the angel chorus, shepherds, and wise men. Our porcelain nativities and our church plays would not be the same if we included the full story of what happened in the little town of Bethlehem. Our culture has lost the ability to grieve and lament the suffering that we wish we could just ignore. Gone are the days when people sat in sackcloth and ashes or ripped their garments in anguish We sanitize death. We hide it in nursing homes, hospitals, morgues. We turn the news off. We ignore the suffering of the people around us. Who wants to see the suffering of people in a majority world country when we celebrate the wealth and comforts of our rich and prosperous nation and we do it with no more fanfare than we do it at Christmas time? Besides, we're too busy complaining about sluggish supply chains to notice the hungry and the hurting in our own city or to hear the story of a family who is just caught in a system that is broken. I believe that society's inability to grapple with suffering and grief has manifested itself in higher levels of depression, anxiety, mental health disorders, and suicide. And it's hard to reconcile innocent children dying because of Jesus. But that's exactly what the Bible tells us happened. That's exactly the story. This is is the story of Christmas. The stark display of evil and suffering is a reminder that our world needed and still needs a Savior. It is only when you recognize the darkness that is around us that you can appreciate the impact that light has. As shepherds sang and shepherds worshiped, all hell was breaking loose. Forces that had long controlled the kingdoms of this world did all they could to stop the coming revolution. The babies of Bethlehem became the first of many soul-piercing sacrifices in the battle to establish God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven and to overcome the empires of this world. Those sweet babies would not be the last to die. In fact, the one baby Herod wanted to die that day would eventually breathe his last on a Roman cross. It was that death, it was Christ's sacrifice on Calvary that secured the victory and set us free. When we think about the suffering in the world around us, we have to recognize that Jesus comes into the hard, dark places and he does it at Christmas time. And we have to resist the temptation to just inoculate ourselves with beautiful music, beautiful pageants, beautiful celebrations of Christmas that leave out why Jesus came in the first place. Suffering persists in the empire, but it is overcome by the kingdom. Suffering persists in this world, but it does not go into the next. Jesus said in John 16:33, "In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world." That's why Jesus came. 
And finally, you see deliverance. I love that Matthew quotes Hosea 1.1, out of Egypt I've called my son. Now, this is an Old Testament reference. We started this whole series out by talking about this, how God sent his own people into exile in Egypt, and then he delivered them out. And what you see in Jesus is the replication of that story. You see the fulfillment of it, that God calls Jesus out of Egypt back into Israel, where he comes not as a triumphant military conqueror, but as a servant who will overthrow the evil empire through his sacrifice and humility. Jesus came to earth as an exile, into hostile territory. He rose from the grave, overcomes the empire, and sits at God's right hand. And this is where you and I come into the story. This is what God is calling us to be a part of. He is calling us to step out of exile. Jesus delivers us from exile in the empire to abundant life in his kingdom. He calls us to live as citizens of the kingdom now and to recognize the suffering that is going on around us and to deliver the hope and the message of the gospel into those places through our words and through our deeds. So what can you do this Christmas? First of all, you need to recognize the impact of the empire. Situations that don't look like the kingdom around you. Situations like we see when we hear about the Syrian refugees who have been fleeing for a decade from country to country with no place to call home, who now live on church property right here. We have to recognize the suffering that's around us and resist the temptation to ignore it. You have to resist the efforts of the empire in you, in your family, in our community. The story of Shanique and Dimitri Fisher is a great example of that, where we look at this one story and we recognize the brokenness of the empires of this world, and we recognize that the right thing for this mother to do is to do all she can to save her child's life. We have to restore those who are exiled. This is where we share the hope of the message of gospel, that Jesus came to deliver people. This is how we do it through word, through deed, through generosity. This is why the Advent Conspiracy matters, because everything we do through the Advent Conspiracy is helping to push back the darkness to push back the forces of the empire, and to celebrate the hope that is found in the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the hope that we have in Jesus. Lord, we thank you that even as we live under the influence of the evil empires of this world, that your kingdom prevails, that the hope of heaven coming to us at Christmas time gives us the ultimate, the ultimate message of hope, the ultimate message of resistance, the ultimate message and healing and comfort to suffering, and finally deliverance. God, we pray that as people of the kingdom, we will seek to serve you and honor you as we follow after Jesus, our King, our ruler. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. Like what you just heard? Take a moment and subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search SSBC Jacks. If you live in the Jacksonville area, we'd love to engage with you on Wednesdays or Sundays. You can find out about our service times, next-gen programming, and more at ssbc.org.